Yo, what's up, people? I'm your host, Jay Will. This is Inspire God's People, the podcast where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. Welcome to episode 188. Today, I'm going to be kicking it off, kicking it with Ralph Mostyn from Mostyn Community Development. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about developing the community in general, but we're going to learn about Ralph, his background, uh, being from the east side of Detroit. He's the founder and uh, he's the founder and president of, of his organization. And I've kind of sat back. I know Ralph a little bit. You know what I'm saying? We've been around each other a little bit on the church scene. Uh, I think we hooped together maybe two or three times in the past. Always been a cool dude and somebody that I've kind of watched from afar. Um, you know how you watch somebody and you just seeing them grow and you're like, man, quietly just kind of doing this thing. I've always kind of respected that he seems to be a person uh, that's about to work and he seems to do it the right way. Uh, so for me, um, as much as I'm, I do these interviews um, so that you can learn about people and be inspired by them. I'm also inspired by the guests that we have on the show, and that's going to be no different today. We're going to talk about developing the community. We're going to talk about his story. Um, he has some interesting things um, that I read in his bio, just as it relates to his college experience. So if you're a person out there that is either a business professional, maybe you want to get into com community service and development and, you know, nonprofit organizations, or maybe you just want to learn, like, how to go from, you know, wherever you are in your community um, to impacting your community. And I think that's an important aspect of what we're going to talk about today is that, you know, so many people focus sometimes on like if you're from a less fortunate or urban area uh, and you constantly get reminded of that. And sometimes those reminders kind of keep you in a space where you're not growing beyond it. So today, that's what we're going to talk about, developing the community, not just the infrastructure, but the people. Uh, people are the most important investment in the world. That's why Jesus died for what? He died for people. Jesus didn't die for your car to go to heaven. He ain't died for your money to go to heaven. People are such an important investment that Jesus Christ gave his life. So today we're going to talk about developing the people, developing the community. If you enjoy this content, even if you don't enjoy it, go ahead and share it and, you know, uh, like it, subscribe. We're on uh, YouTube, if you don't know. We've been doing a YouTube thing for a few months now, uh, trying to grow that community. So it's just at Inspire Guys People. If you're on Facebook, um, feel free to comment, all that good stuff. I'm going to be quiet so we can get into a, an amazing show. Uh, episode 188 of Inspire Guys People, the podcast. Very first episode of 2023. Um, yeah, man. So we're going to make sure that it is a great one. Stop saying what you going to do till you do what you said. When you opened that Bible, you knew what you read. You felt it deep in your soul. The promise did not expire. Be inspired. I can see beyond the tears you cry. And the pain you feel. I saw every hill you had to climb. Just to make it here. When you say you ain't afraid to die. Is it fake the fear? Guys, people, we are back. I got my man Ralph Mostyn with me. Ralph, how you doing today, bro? I'm good, man. How you feeling? I'm great, man. Uh, appreciate you for jumping on the show. Episode 188. Uh, like I was telling the people, uh, we know each other a little bit. Been around each other a little bit on the church scene. Hooped a little bit. Have you been hooping lately? Um, It's been about a month. Oh, oh, I mean, yeah, you hooping. 
I probably um, ain't been hooping since the last time we hooped together, and that was probably four or five years. So yeah, it's um, been a minute. <laughs> yeah, I ain't I ain't got out there, but I told my wife I was walking around the kitchen today. You know how you you know what I'm saying? I'm like <laughs> air hooping. I, I, yeah, like I actually might still have it, bro. So absolutely. Um, we have to see, man. I have to get out there with my brother Darius. I know we used to hoop with Darius a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's been trying to get me out there. I've been playing. Um yeah, so man, um, hey, appreciate you jumping on the show. I'm I'm excited to get to know you a little better, um, get to know a little bit about your background and your organization. Let's kind of start a little bit with like just growing up on the east side of Detroit, right? I'm from the east side, so I got a special uh appreciation for anybody who makes it out of where we made it out of. Mm-hmm. and make something out of their life um and it's a lot of people doing that by the way um but just talk a little bit about that experience like you know growing up in detroit tell the people who you who you were growing up as a kid and what that experience was like uh growing up as a kid i was a goofy silly guy um really into sports um as you know on the east side if you drive them down a block you'll see basketball rims in the street one of those rims was ours always hooping in the street um, doing our very best to stay out of trouble. Um, I know our circumstances typically permit us to stay in trouble, um, but with, with a good family household, with parents and, and church, uh, we were able to survive on the east side, staying out of trouble. We've seen many family members, friends going to jail, ended up on the other side of life. Um, very unfortunate circumstances, but for my brother and I, for us to be extremely fortunate um to make it out of the east side and and make something of ourselves to continue to impact people um i would say the east side made me um and that's a quote that probably everybody will say but it's what did it make you um and and for us to feel the impact of what made us um people who aren't who aren't even from the east side are now able to say a piece of the a piece of the east side has impacted in some way what did it make you like all right so you didn't all right you dropping bars early i I love it what did it make you so let's unpack that a little bit because one of the things that's amazing about social media to me is that it kind of shrunk the world meaning Mm -hmm. it, it took you know you have all these connections like i'm connected with people just simply on facebook from all different walks of life and sometimes we see each other as avatars that's part of the purpose of this podcast is mm-hmm. for us to see people as more than an avatar or a post that we agree or disagree with. <clears throat> so when you talk about, you know, you mentioned a couple of things about growing up on the East side and you said, as an example, you know, you've seen whether it be violence or people lose their life, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing when there's somebody, multiple people, like I could probably think of just off the top of my head, seven to 10 people that I either went to school with, lived in a community with, and they died. Like they literally were murdered into, mm-hmm. you know, at the hands of some type of violence. And I don't know that we ever stop to think about what that does to young people seeing mm-hmm. and experiencing that. Cause for some people, they only see or hear that on a movie and yeah. you don't have to be a person that was into the violence to be surrounded by. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, like, what was that like for you, like seeing different, maybe crazy things um, in your life growing up? Or do you feel like because you grew up with your family, like you said, church, all those things, they shielded you? Can you just shed a little light on that? Um, 
So it, it's a crazy people. I mean, people would never believe what some people actually go through by just looking at what they are now. Um, but two of my first cousins, who like my brothers, um, we lived in the same zip code, walking distance from each other. Um, both lo- both lost their lives at an early age. Um, one at 13 and one was actually six years ago in 2016. Um, and the biggest difference between my house and their house was on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, we were going to church and they weren't. We went to the same schools. We were at the same family dinners. Like these are my first cousins. And you know, first cousins are always like siblings. Um, Sleepovers at grandma's house. Um, One was tragically hung itself when we were 12. And the other one lost his life to to gang violence um, just six years ago. And it hit so close to home because that is a cliche phrase, but so true. Like that literally could have been me. Yeah, um, and to to feel the impact emotionally, um, one thing I would say that had that made me so aware of life, um, how how quickly it can be taken away, um, how quickly people can take things for granted. Um, it that at an early age, it made me so aware of my surroundings, of the east side is not just another part of the city. Like it's it's truly dangerous out here, um, yeah. and me at an early age taking that that word of awareness um and applying it to my life now uh, we'll we'll get into it um i'll say what the biggest thing of the east side that made me was aware and it has caused me to be aware of so many things that are surrounding me no that's that's well said man um first of all sorry to hear about your cousins and um those are exactly the kind of things that you know when you when you say what did it make you You know, a lot of times we try to like, you know, maybe you hear people talking about where they came from, Mm -hmm. but you don't hear people talking about what it made them. Mm -hmm. And and maybe we hear too much of when it makes someone something negative. But a lot of times, like you said, it made you aware. And awareness is an amazing thing because I've been there where when you're taking life for granted, you're not really aware of life. You're not really aware of the fact that like, I could literally go outside and not make it back home. Yep. But you learn very quickly growing up in the communities that we come from that it is literally a matter of life and death. And I don't know that people can really wrap their mind around when you are a young uh, teenager and you're going out in the community and literally understanding like, yo, this could be life or death. <clears throat> I'll tell mm-hmm. you this. When I was about, I don't know, it was somewhere between 15 and 17. And I was trying to decide if I was going to get a gun, Um, you know, like just buy a gun somewhere illegally off the street, I guess. Um, First of all, I didn't really know how to get a gun. So that was a good thing. But the thing for me was when I was going out in in the city, it was like, okay, I had this moment where I had to decide, am I going to let this city turn me into it, my environment, so that I could survive in it? Or am I going to rise above it? Mm-hmm. And thank God I chose, I decided, you know, really like I can't get a gun. I don't got nowhere to put it. I got younger siblings. So I decided against it. Mm-hmm. But those are real um, decisions that we have to make, you Absolutely. know, every day growing up in that environment. Absolutely. So for you, you grew <clears throat> up in Detroit, you end up going to Bowling Green University. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like going to college? And I know you had some financial issues and, and, maybe had to kind of um, 
take a, a pivot or call an audible in mm -hmm. college. Can you just talk a little bit about that experience of going from the city, making it to college, which is a success just Absolutely. to make it there Absolutely. and then dealing with the ups and downs of what you dealt with? So it was it was it was fun. Um, I definitely say that it should have been a lot different than what it should have been for me. Um, both my parents are educators. Um, my mom, my whole life, she was a principal and 90 percent of my life. My dad was a principal. He was a regional vice president over charter schools, the whole nine. Um, and it's funny. Headed into graduation, I had not applied to any colleges. Oh, you wow. <laughs> But it was the crazy part is it was never talked about in our house. Wow. And, and not I don't realize it until 2021, literally, why it was not talked about in our house. Um, but to know, I mean, my teachers at school, the counselors, everybody knew who my parents were. Um, wasn't in the same district with them, but they knew my parents were educators for parent teacher conferences to basketball games, whatever the case may have been. And they like, oh, so where are your acceptance letters? Like, how many schools did you get into? I'm like, I haven't even applied nowhere. They're like, why? And I didn't really have an answer. Man. Uh, I was like, I don't know. Let me talk to my parents, see why nobody ever mentioned this. Um, so applying last minute to Bowling Green, uh, thank God I had the grades and scores to get into the one school I applied to uh, four months before classes started. Whoa. Um, and at the, I didn't have a plan at the time. I knew Bowling Green was top 10 in education. Um, schools in the country at the time it, it was close to home good place to apply to um I started my senior year when I was 16 um so I never even oh, wow. thought about going away to school and living on my own um oh, that's heavy but when I got there there were so many people from Detroit that was so comforting um quite a few people I knew a couple guys I went to high school with also went there with me um so it made things a little more comfortable I would say I was mature enough to live on my own. I had great independent living skills, um, but I was totally unprepared for the educational system that came to college. Um, as far as like study habits, being responsible enough to go to class, having to wake yourself up on time. Um, I knew how to feed myself. I knew how to cook, but that stuff is half the battle when you're talking about going to college, especially away from your parents. Um, so thank God I have financial issues. Or I probably would have been wasting money and not having good grades. Um, so he got blocked it and sent me home early. It was like, no, nah, you're not ready for this battle. Um, but I was super grateful for the experience living with, um, my roommate was of a, a, a different ethnicity. We were able to, um, learn about each other's different backgrounds, where one another come from. Um, that helped expose me to a lot. Um, I wasn't, um, ignorant to other races, if you will. Yeah. Um, but to gain so much more knowledge on, let's say, how the quote unquote Caucasian household works, how they operate in the family dynamic. Um, he was also a Christian. So we were able to compare different Christian values of where we come from and just to see how, how different things were in the a church where I come from and the church where he comes from. Um, and it was a super fun, super fun experience. Uh, one thing I'll never forget is my roommate had a lot of useless knowledge is what he called it. Um, so he could have told you who, and he literally told me this before, um, who Biggie Small's girlfriend was in 10th grade, who he lost his virginity to. Wow. And I'm like, why do you know that? He's like, man, I, I study all cultures, all uh, current events, facts, and things of that nature. Um, and when I left, he ended up being the school broadcaster for all of the sports. I'm like, this is why he was. That's dope. That. Um, career took off. Amazing broadcaster in sports um, right now. 
Um, and it, that was just so enlightening to know to us at the time at 17 years old, it was useless knowledge. Um, but he was pre- definitely preparing himself for what he wanted to do uh, once college ended. I love that. You you said a couple of couple of dope things. Uh, so I'm going to circle back to the roommate, which I want to unpack there. But you said something earlier about your parents were educators. You didn't even apply to college until four months before school started. And you said it wasn't talked about in your house and you didn't realize until 2021 um, why it wasn't talked about in your house. Can you unpack that a little bit? Um, Why was it not talked about in your house? Um, At the time, my parents had their own issues. um, Got it. And they were hitting. They did a really good job. Um, They never fought in front of me and my brother, never argued. I never even heard them say a bad word. Um, so they, they really masked the issues very well. Um, but when things, when the cover came off, there were so many things that me and my brother hadn't had done that you would expect children of educators to have done, um, Got it. whether it's have financial literacy knowledge at an early age, um, or, or just me assuming what it should have been, because this is what I plan to do with my kids. Um, but right. I feel like I should have been prepared to go to college. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like hearing it from this side, there's two sides of it to me where I definitely could see where even seeing what you're doing now, seeing a person that you have grown to be and seem to be growing to be. And you said, you know, you you started your senior year in high school at 16. Um, and you you also mentioned that you were you were prepared for the like living and taking care of yourself when you got to school, but you weren't prepared necessarily for Uh, the educational um, requirements and everything. I think, you know, where, where, what I will say, you know, it with, with those type of parents is that you probably even indirectly learned so many valuable lessons in life, even though you might not have gotten some of the, some of the maybe important things that, that you didn't. And I, I find myself wrestling through that, you know, when I think about growing up and understanding what my parents dealt with, Mm-hmm. Um, all their not not necessarily they didn't have you know nothing I'm aware of of like issues in their marriage, but mm-hmm. just thinking about growing up in the hood as an example, I remember talking to my mom and like telling her some of the stuff we used to see, like, oh yeah, this these gang people corner me over here. Uh, oh, somebody pulled a gun out on me when I was walking down this street. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is, my mom, like, like, we didn't know that, like, you right. know, like they they. I guess when you just doing what you got to do, you're mm-hmm. not thinking about every aspect. So that's interesting. Now, back to the roommate and the point you made about your roommate. Uh, what's cool to me is uh, you mentioned y'all learning about each other, um, being of different ethnicity and having that experience. Did you have much of that before college or was that your real first opportunity um, to kind of build a close relationship with someone who wasn't? Uh, black or from your community? So I, I I was fortunate enough to be able to develop that before going to college. Um, I went to Warren Fitzgerald for high school and it was not predominantly black. Um, so I, I would say I had a close relationship with at least eight people from eight different ethnic groups. Um, okay. So it, when I got to college, it was so organic to where he, he thought I probably went to maybe an all white school and didn't grow up in the hood. Got you. Um, but but knowing how to flip the switch on and off, depending on who you're in the room with. Um, a small tidbit. Um, my granddad is actually white. He's Jewish. Oh, um, cool. And so 
I, my cool. dad has six siblings who are 100% um, Caucasian skinned. Oh, and, got you. Um, so I, being able to blend um, my learning and the, my comfortability around different ethnic groups, it definitely made me live in. Now, I never lived with a white guy. Um, so that definitely was different. Right, got you, got you. The, the dorm rooms were actually pretty small. Um, so right. that definitely was another level of relationship for sure. Um, but it was so it was so cool and so fun. I would go back and do it all over again and come back home early again. That's dope because one of the things that I always tell people is like, you know, growing up in Detroit, Detroit is one of the most segregated cities in the country. Mm -hmm. Last time I checked was probably three years ago. The numbers were something like the city of Detroit is 88% black. And when you think about it, being from our city, you know, people have to make the decision to like, you know, do you want to move outside of the city and kind of go away from where most of the black people are? Or sometimes, mm -hmm. it, you know, you can live in a city and there's more opportunities for that now. So that's a decision that we have to often make because Absolutely. it's so segregated. I think it's dope that you had that opportunity. And I always tell people, you know, one of the reasons I think all this racial tension and misunderstanding exists today is because we are willingly segregated. So yeah. even though segregated segregation isn't a law, we still segregate ourselves Absolutely. in so many minor ways. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I think it's cool that you got that. And I could see where that worldview um, having those experiences. Can you maybe talk a little bit um, about what advantage did those experiences give you specifically? So you talked about having friends from high school from maybe eight different ethnic groups to mm -hmm. your uh, building this relationship with your college roommate. What what did that prepare you for? What Why was that an advantage or something that someone should seek to do? I, I think that it, it definitely prepared me for um, what they call corporate America. Um, if you work in, let's say you work in a, in a job and there is all black people, you, uh, most black people will feel so comfortable when at home, you are, you're going to say some things you probably wouldn't say otherwise if you were in a workplace with people other than black people. Um, so it definitely prepared me on how to, I'll say for lack of the terms, carry myself differently, um, depending on who's in the room. Um, not necessarily not being myself, not really faking it. Um, but kind of just chilling out on the on the culture, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of I've seen a lot of people lose their jobs, lose respect, um, lose opportunities on promotions and raises because they don't know how to flick the switch on and off. Um, and I think that that was a huge advantage for me to um, kind of be comfortable around other groups of people, um, knowing how to diversify conversations, um, diversify interests diversify food groups um if you can't let's say a group of people at work who aren't black want to go out to lunch and you're not into their food you know what i'm saying you you looking on the outside looking in when this was a great opportunity for you to continue to to shelter and cultivate more relationships in the workplace um so from every aspect point. of life it allowed me to diversify myself um nobody asking you to not be black that's going to be totally impossible um, for you to change who you are um, but to, to continue to learn and grow for the people around you um, and living with that guy, um, it made me view uh, Caucasian people differently. Some pros, some cons, um, dealing with the people I dealt with in high school, um, from the Chaldean friends that I had 
Like I learned business early on. It's so crazy that different ethnic groups are put instilling these values in their kids, ninth and tenth grade, and I was cool with them. So from the business side, I was learning so much at an early age and didn't even realize it till later on in life as a grown up. Like I remember so and so was doing this and that. Like I could really apply that here, and it's really changed my life for real. Um, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Amazing. Um, and and seeing other people in my family who didn't go to schools outside of the city of Detroit, um, who are kind of stuck in one specific bubble. And they're like, well, why can't I go here with you, Ralph? Why can't like because I'm going here with a different type of people. You, you know how it go. You don't you're not gonna want to act right when we go to this. T- you you go, you don't know how to turn yeah. it on off. Um, so that definitely has allowed me to um diversify myself um and still different values in me um and learn about different groups of people just so that it provides me a comfortable situation when I'm around those different types of people. Yeah, and I think you know you you touched on a couple important things. And I think the the first thing is we have to learn how to be adaptable. Absolutely. And I do think it is something that is very uncomfortable in the beginning. And so we got to embrace that. But you do have what, what I like about, you know, this type of conversation is you kind of dealing with both sides. We know, like you mentioned, it doesn't mean you're not black. Right. I think sometimes the black community, we limit ourselves so much because we've been so segregated, mm-hmm. you know, like we have almost in America exclusively been segregated, even when it's willingly. And so what happens is, like you saying, you don't know how to operate in these other circles, in these other rooms. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is, especially because we are a minority, it's less of us. So you're going to have to under you're going to have to learn how to be adaptable and find who your true self is within yeah. that adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of judgment in our community where the moment that you are not, like you saying, like completely like acting whatever BET black, you know, right. I, I call it that. Like you're not acting black like BET, people quick to call you a sellout or something. But what happens is for people who want to go further in life, the Barack Obama is the best example I could give you. Barack Obama ain't walking in um, with his suit, not tailored and talking right. crazy. You know, we we give him a lot of credit for having like a swag and all that. But if you really pay mm-hmm. attention, that's corporate. That's that's, you know, that's refined swag. Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. we should we should be like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we we hold ourselves back so much. And it's, it is important to be able to go in those rooms because that's how you make stuff happen. Um, And that's how you better yourself, you know, and you get to learn about people. And you also said something like, Hey, good and bad. You learn about different ethnicities and you, it is important to learn that people are not all bad. You know, there are literally some people, uh, you know, in Detroit, we, you know, we say like some people never crossed eight mile. That means you never left the city. Um, And they think all white people bad. And it's like, well, if you if you limit yourself to a box where 88 percent of the people look just like you, that's easy to say. Absolutely. Same for white people who limit themselves and wherever they are, there is no black people. And you never had that experience is very easy to say. So I think that's dope. You said that. Um, I want to know a little bit about, you know, where does someone with your background kind of get you know, interest in community service and development. 
you know, was that something that came when you were younger or what point in your life on this journey of being from, from Detroit, going to school in Warren, then Bowling Green, you know, where in the process does this desire to get involved in community service come in? So it all started when I was 10. That was the first time I became a junior deacon at church. Okay. Um, and in what people, I, I see you put on, on the screen, when, when did you become interested in community service and development? The one thing, when you read that, what's the one word that sticks out to you? Service. That's it. Um, some people say, oh, you're so involved in the community. Oh, you're so focused and driven to develop people. Um, when the thing that really drives me is the service, um, serving. I've always grown up in church serving, um, being adjutant or armor bearer to the youth pastor on up to the pastor. Um, I was always trained and service was instilled in me. Um, so as, as I began to grow throughout life, um, I always made it my priority to serve people. Um, and that has taken off to serving the community, serving the church. Um, I think that allows me to be the most outstanding dad and husband because my priority is to serve my kids and my wife. Um, and if you can put, I wish we could make that sentence, when did you become interested in service community? Um, because the service comes before anything. And if, oh, you, if, you, can, if you can train yourself <laughs> to serve, um, I think you can be successful in any area of your life. I know a lot of people, uh, they call it kissing up or teacher's pet or or this and that and the other. It's because they haven't learned the value. They, they don't learn. Um, they don't know what's on the other side of that equal sign after the word serving. Um, and serving equates to so much more um, than getting a sticker on your, on your homework sheet or getting a pat on the back from the pastor for carrying his iPad and his cup of water. Um, and if you can, if you can let that word resonate in your life for 2020, um, you'll be successful just because giving and serving, um, it's, it's a skill, it's a gift. Um, and it's one of those very rare skills and gifts that has to come directly from the heart. Wow. All right. So you, you talked about understanding what service equals what's on the other side of the equal sign can you unpack that a little bit what is on the other side of the equal sign of serving because i think when some people think of service it's almost a negative word to them because mm -hmm. what they're hearing is sacrifice mm -hmm. and sacrifice again another positive word that gets a negative connotation mm -hmm. because ultimately what someone is thinking of i think is they're only thinking of the side of the equation and what they give up they have to so, give so the service side represents hey yo i gotta do what i gotta do this and yep. like you said they don't understand the equal yep. so can you talk about what service equals and unpack that yep so what i'm what can i do is i'm gonna mix it in to what we do as an organization um what a lot of people don't know what we do um so Austin community development is an organization that serves, this is our mission statement, that serves individuals ages 14 through 26 who struggle with some sort of disability. Now, when people see that, they're like, I thought you'd be doing the coat giveaways in the community. I thought that you'd do the backpack giveaway and back to school drive. But the, the programmatic side of our organization is our main component. We, we serve generally high school students with disabilities. 
helping them transition out of high school and into the real world. Now, the the portion of our organization that you see the coat giveaway, our hats, gloves, and love event, all of our community event, that's my wife and I um, donating 30% of our salaries to make sure that children in the community don't go without resources. But wow. we do trainings for students like resume building. We do out-of-town college tours, giving them independent living skills. Um, we employ 60-plus high school students every summer with internships, helping them get those job skills. Um, so that's what we do. We serve high school students with disabilities. Now, on the back to your question, on the other side of that equal sign, I'll give you a story. Um, last fall, we launched a new component to our program called the Spare Time Program. Is using the game of bowling to help students with disabilities redirect their spare time. And we serve these students. And there was a one lady, in, a young lady in the program. Um, she, each individual person that comes to us, they have their own learning plan that specifically serves to their um, learning inabilities, if you will. Okay. Um, there was a one lady, a one young lady, um, she was suicidal. And one day, it was Tuesday, she was down at the Detroit River, standing on the ledge, getting ready to commit suicide, getting ready to jump into the Detroit River. And as she's standing on the ledge, this is last year, she calls my wife while she's on the ledge. Are you serious? To say, am I still going to be able to bowl tomorrow? Can I come bowling? My wife was like, yeah, why wouldn't you be able to come bowling? What you talking about? And she, she got off the ledge and the police arrested her and... And was able to take her into custody and get her some help. Wow. That's on the other side of the equal sign. Impacting a 12th grader's life through the game of bowling. Serving her in a way that she's never been served. On the other side of the equal sign is her being able to breathe another day. You know, service is a lot like faith to me. When I hear you say it that way. Because... When most of us are thinking of the part that we don't know, we are not considering the impact of what we don't know. So, you know, I call it the hope of the unknown. So one of the things that keeps me going in my life when when I have doubt or when I struggle and, you know, feel like, hey, is it worth me doing this or whatever? It is the hope of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And it is the fact of like, just like you just outlined, there may be something about any podcast, any conversation that is said, not just by me, by the guests like yourself, that could literally change someone's life. Mm -hmm. And that is the part of the equal sign that maybe I don't know it today. But then when you get the testimonies and emails or phone calls like that, then, like you said, it makes it much harder, you know, to not keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's harder to quit when you when you start seeing the other side of that equation. Mm -hmm. So, no, that's a that's a powerful, um, a powerful example and story. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier. You mentioned you had to take a take a break from school because of some financial issues. And you 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 even said, like, you know, I, I really wasn't ready. You know, you said God blocked it. Mm -hmm. So. How did you transition to getting back into school? What was that like? Was it a was it a a long timeline, or what did you do in that time? And then how was it transitioning and going to 
um, another university to to get your uh, degree? So the the transition was kind of smooth. Um, my my journey from the moment I left Bowling Green, um, I left when I was at age 19 and God made the transition so ridiculously smooth. Um, a month after I came home from Bowling Green, um, I was a middle school math teacher. Okay. And the year after that, I was a kindergarten teacher for two years. In the midst of those three years of teaching uh, with no degree, um, just college credits. Um, I wasn't like a long-term sub, like I was on salary as a teacher, uh, which is God in itself, because that's not supposed to happen. Um, I started an after-school program at the school, and it, it was just like homework help, um, helping kids, give them something to do um, after school, not going home, get, make sure they stay out of trouble. Um, and there were like maybe like seven kids signed up. So, okay, we got seven kids. Um, we gave those kids a t-shirt. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember years ago, um, I was doing the rise. I remember. Yeah. Rise. So that was what it was when we originally started. Um, once those seven kids got a t-shirt, literally the next day, there were 60 kids who wanted to come after school just cause they were going to get a shirt. <laughs> I I like, it. We got this many shirts right now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but that was a driving force to, uh, to what, where we are now to know that a lot of things are incentive based. Um, we, we pull teeth trying to get kids to do things where something as small as, uh, and I'll call it a clean t-shirt as opposed to the one they had on or a piece of pizza after school, um, really drove these kids to be something completely different. Um, so after the, the after school program there, me and my partner at the time, we were like, you know, we probably should put a curriculum together and try to branch out. Um, literally like four months later, um, DPS was like, oh, we like this. Um, it was like, you guys are just starting out. You're new. Um, we're going to give you eight schools. I was like, what? Whoa. Like, that's not for new people. Right. And at the time, I'm 20. Um, so I'm like, I don't know how to run no full after school program, but I'm, I'm trying to get myself together. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. Um, they gave us eight schools. Um, totally mind blowing. Um, the type of things that I was beginning to learn at such an early age um, with, the, with the organization. Um, long story short, the next year um, we had, I got my first six figure contract with a school to do in school intervention and after school programming. Um, that following summer, two schools had given me their full summer school budget, a key to the building, the alarm code. They said, this is what you have to do. You have to hire all the teachers recruit all the students for summer school. You have to take care of the breakfast and lunch program. Here's the key. Here's the alarm code. Good luck. Wow. I was 23. I had just, I had just started dating my wife at the time. I'm like, hold on. This is just too much. Like what? That's crazy. World? But I was successful. Um, with, with the help of my dad, um, him being in the game and knowing which route I needed to take. You know what I'm saying? He was a, a huge mentor um, for me to get into where I am now. And it was just so amazing that to look at, I, I don't often go back down memory lane, but when I do, it's like, that's so crazy that a, a, a district manager would, would hand over all these resources and stuff to a 23 year old kid from the East side with no degree. It makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. But I tell you what did make sense. The <laughs> next year when those test scores went up, it was like, okay, this may have worked. And oh. we sat down and had a conversation 
and they were trying to figure out how did I do it? What did you do to do this? And I, I use this to my advantage to this day. I was like, I related with the kids. They from the east side. I'm from the east side. I'm not coming to work with suits on. I got a polo on and some Jordans. I got a t-shirt on and some Yeezys. Yeah, it's yeah. a rise on it. But you are able to, to cultivate the students and capture their attention early on by just looking like them. And then yeah. you start talking like them. And they was like, man, these kids really like you, Mr. Monster. I was like, yeah, I know. Thank you. And for them to not know what it was, I mean, they still couldn't figure out. They like that's not enough. Like just because they look <laughs> like you and talk like yeah, yeah, it's easy for you to say when they don't look like you and when they don't talk like you and they not, they don't come from where you come from. So you don't even have the story to open the door to get to the conversations that we're getting with these kids and getting to the root of the problems of why they're acting out in class or why their grades are so low um, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, where we started and, and where we are now, it's literally, I would, at the t- obviously, at the top of the list, I would credit God and all his favor. Um, I wouldn't be anywhere without him. But I would credit me being me, me looking the way I look, acting the way I act, um, knowing that the easy had made this has impacted thousands of students across Metro Detroit area since 2010. Authenticity. Um, it's something, you know, it really goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? That adaptability. People Mm -hmm. don't realize that goes, that goes multiple ways. So I'm going to give you an example. Let's think this through. Let's say Ralph, you are from the East side and you remain BET black for the rest of your life. And I just mean stereotypical, like some people literally their only experience with black people, even black people themselves, like the only people you think of is BET movie black people, that's not a good thing. Like, um, we are much more than that. But what happens is, like when you really think this through, if Ralph stays BET black and doesn't, you know, become well-rounded, what people don't understand is you don't build even the skill set to be able to leave and come back and be valuable to your own community. It's hard to be valuable to your own community if you haven't changed anything about yourself or learned anything or grown anywhere. You Mm -hmm. end up really being a nuisance to the community. And um, I always tell people, like we talk about on this show, being a um, contributor or a consumer. In a consumer mindset, they just take, take, take from the world, whether it be your community, your household, whatever it is, you're just always taking and consuming things. Mm -hmm. But a contributor um, finds a way to add value um, to their household, their community, their church, whatever it may be. So, man, I commend you for uh, for the work that you you're doing and you started doing when you were young. And I want people I don't want people to miss the fact of like this all happened when you have financial issues at school. And you talked about growing up in a house of educators. And I would say that's where that value really showed itself. Um, and talking about your dad as well, being a mentor. So bef- before we before we get close to getting out of here, I got a couple more questions for you. I want to know how challenging was it for you when you started your own organization in 2016, I believe, is the year that you started. You know, you had Rise and... And then you what you said that was like 2010-ish, that start. You get to 2016. 
and you're um, starting um, your organization, Boston Community Development. And, you know, what were the challenges of launching your own? And, you know, after having six years of experience, I'm sure that were valuable. But for the people out there listening who, you know, are thinking about starting their own business, what are some of the things to, that to watch out for as an entrepreneur, especially in the early stages? Um, I would say uh, one thing to watch out for is um, non-genuine people. Um, people would definitely um, want to cling to you because they see you have something good um, and they kind of just want to piggyback off the mission, piggyback off the, the success they may see that comes down the line. Um, so I would definitely say just be careful of the people who, who are out there um, who may not be as genuine as you. Um, I, I, I like to think that I have an extremely pure heart um, and I ran into a whole lot of people who didn't. Um, and, and thank God I always had um, I lived with my parents until I was married. Uh, so I always had my mom and dad to go back home to to just ask questions. Like, did you run into this? What do you think about this? Um, using my discernment to, to try to seep through to, is this a good situation I'm about to get into? Is this a good deal? Is this a good contract? Um, one thing that was a huge blessing was I was one of the founders of Rise. So when I kind of branched off from my partner into MCD, it was a smooth transition. It was just like, hey, I'm cutting off from you. I'm going to keep the same connects that we've always had. Um, hopefully we can figure out a way to work out these contracts where maybe we can split the contract between Rise and Monster Community Development now. Um, so that as far as um, propelling my organization to the next level, because I already was doing youth development, it was not a super difficult transition, um, but knowing a lot of the work was going to be on me now because I didn't have a partner, um, that was definitely challenging. Um, knowing that I did also have a life outside of this, um, I got engaged in 2016 as well. Um, knowing I was about to get married the following year, we wanted kids soon. Um, I was going to have to find some great balance. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and being the family man and the businessman at the same time, um, knowing that I was a full-time entrepreneur and this was going to be the way that I was going to have to provide for my family. Um, See, I, 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 no, you got to go ahead. Finish that I, thought. I, I definitely would say that um, just be careful. Um, everybody's not as genuine as you want them to be. Everybody's not going to be as helpful. Um, I've run into so many cases, Jay Wheel, so many cases of people who knew, obviously you knew me, we grew up together. Like I get 10 calls a week. I'm trying to start a nonprofit. Can you help me? I want to start a business. Can you see me? Can you connect me with the people who do your grants and this and that? As like, if I answered every one of those calls, I would be homeless because I would never <laughs> have time to build what I'm building. Um, so definitely, definitely something to watch out for. You have to guard yourself, guard your heart, um, guard your business principles, your business material, um, trademark what needs to be trademarked, but definitely protect yourself, protect your peace. Um, because when people need something, the last thing on their mind is making sure they don't bug you too much to get what they need. Hey, you know what, man, that's, that's so impactful because, you know, a lot of times people don't understand the responsibility of running a business and how you have to think through those things. So you talk about, you know, the emails or calls that you get from people that grew up with you. And I want to I want to unpack that a little bit and kind of kind of focus on that for a minute, because 
What people don't understand is that, let's say by 2016, you have put in six years already mm -hmm. of hard work, dedication. I'm sure some long nights. Um, I'm sure there were some challenges with some kids, maybe challenges with their parents. Mm -hmm. And you had you had this experience and this knowledge and because you had done the work. Right. And when you do the work, you understand the value of the work. And I think what people don't realize when they call you and they're trying to cut through, like when you're trying to shortcut, you're really robbing yourself of understanding the value of the work. And Absolutely. so you want me to give you confidential information, right? Yep. So, you know, there's literally confidential information, meaning I can't call Apple because I was, you know, cool with Tim Cook and say, hey, tell me about the patent for the upcoming, you know, Apple Watch that, you know, does some new um, trick or something. Mm -hmm. They can't give me that. It don't matter if I'm his cousin, his brother. It doesn't make him fake because he's protecting his business. So I think that's something important for to talk about with people that they understand, because believe me, I get the same. I get so many questions, you know, how do you do this? Mm -hmm. uh what what for a podcast this and a lot of times you know i answer some but sometimes i have to like ignore it because like you said i have to keep my peace but also mm -hmm. i'm i'm actually trying to help the person by not giving them the answers to the test mm -hmm. that they haven't studied for so i had somebody recently um inbox me um I won't start bugging you. I had somebody recently, yeah, had somebody recently inbox me and literally asked me to help them develop a business that would provide the same services I provide. And when I told him, like, eh, he's like, well, let me see one of your grants you wrote. I'm like, eh. He was like, that's not, you're not being a real Christian. I was like, eh, you kind of, you go, you're going real far now, man. Um, you're supposed to help your brother in Christ when he is like you. You quoting a whole bunch of stuff I ain't never read. Um, Ever. You're not, you're not about to say that's in the Bible. God said, help your brother build a business just like so he can succeed. Um, I didn't read that one. Um, no, I said it's in there, but I didn't read it. No, it's not. It's a different book. Um, <laughs> look, look so, so to that point, I think it's important for Christians to realize that. Like, we, we are too quick to accuse somebody of not being Christ-like because they are not falling in line to our manipulation. Correct. Because at the end of the day, if you call a business owner who has worked like crazy, I mean, sacrifice more than you can ever sacrifice, mm -hmm. giving more effort than you could ever imagine. When you call that person and try to and try to get confidential information out of them, you are a manipulator. And I'm Absolutely. I'm telling people this so that they they realize it because I don't think they're aware of it necessarily. But, you know. Why would I give you like all the answers to the test so that you can go and try to put me out of business? That doesn't like if people actually stop and think about it, it just doesn't make sense for Shake Shack to give Chick-fil-A the recipe to their chicken tenders. The sauce, and right. It don't make sense at all. Um, no, I'm I'm actually happy. I'm actually happy that that you brought that up. And, and Malloy said the Ray Crocs of the world. It, look, the founder is one of my favorite movies of all time, the McDonald's story and, and Ray Kroc. And he was a savage guy. But I, I do think that as Christians, we have to become more savvy, not savage, 
-hmm. but we have to become more business savvy and understand some of those dynamics and also um, kind of be respectful of people's work. So mm -hmm. um, before we before we get you out of here, Ralph, what advice? I think this is maybe a, a perfect follow up to what we just talked about. What advice would you give someone who wants to get involved in community service and start their own organization? Where should they start? Right. Not giving them the answers to the test or, you know, like most people want to get all your person. Hey, man, who writes your grants is I don't, I'm not even in that business. And I could tell you that's the most personal question <laughs> like you could ever ask somebody like you don't do that. But yeah. what advice can you give someone who's looking to start um, and maybe whether it be learning about, you know, how to start an organization, books to read, you know, resources, whatever. Where would you tell someone to start? going down that path today? I will, I will definitely start with telling them to figure out exactly what they want to do and get out there and do it. And I'll unpack that. Um, some people want to start like a tutoring company. Social media is at our disposal to do whatever we want. If you feel like you have what it takes to start a tutoring company, every, so everybody thinks they want when I start. I'm going to be on my road to a six-figure business. I'm going to have a thousand clients. When it's like, no matter if you have one client or 20 clients, you know you're still a tutoring company, right? If, if your main objective right now is to be a tutoring company, just start being just that. Um, and I think people, especially our generation, since we're the microwave generation, everybody wants to go from start to finish by pushing the one on the microwave and it being done and it being hot. But it's like, that's not the case when it comes to business, when you can literally just get out there and do anything because your goal is to start. You're not saying, Hey, what do I need to do to finish a business? You ask what you need to do to start a business. And in order to start a business, literally just, I think Nike, I don't know how they did it, but they hit it on the head with just do it. Because yeah. you all you have to do is get out there and just do anything. Um, if you want to start a clothing line, if you want to start like a, clo a portable clothing closet, like you may have to get rid of some of your own clothes that you really like in order to jumpstart your business. Um, people are, I mean, some of the one thing that people I see a lot these days that I never even thought about when I first started was who's where is all the money at for the first time business owners? It's like most of these people who started a business were using their own money out of pocket. Like yeah. you're going to have to, if you think you're going to start off with somebody else's money, you don't even need my help because you already got the plan. <laughs> I don't understand it. Cause it's like, just watch Shark Tank. You, if you literally just watch Shark Tank, you, you can get lessons on how business works. Meaning mm -hmm. if you want someone who has money, to give you money because you're starting or have a business, there's a whole lot of questions you got to be able to answer, a whole Absolutely. lot of value that you got to be able to prove. That's the but reality so of business. Once people get to Shark Tank, once they're finally asking for like big, real money, they've already been running a real business. They, they already have patent products. They've already served the community in a, a very, very high regard or else they wouldn't even be on the show. So there's so many different steps that are going to come into play that back to what you said earlier, one word we that you see when you see serving is sacrifice. You have to be willing to give up a lot in order to not just run a business or start a business, but actually succeed and live off of a business. It's not the uh, 
you playing the middleman between you and Office Depot printing flyers for somebody. Like there's so much more to the business than that. And I think once people start to realize that, or once people start to realize you're not going to hell because you work a nine to five, because that's what that's really what's happening in the world today. People are getting shunned for not being um, working in corporate America or working a job. Like everybody needs to have a business. It's like, okay, that's not the case. If it has a business, there's going to be no workers to run these businesses. Like this is going to be a ridiculous revolving door. <laughs> 100%. I couldn't agree more, man. Um, look, this has been dope. I've enjoyed um, having you on the show. Um, I want to, before you, before I get you out of here, just, um, can you just share a, how to find you, follow you, support your organization and then any um, events or things that you have coming up that you know, people can support and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Um, our website is www.mcdimpact.com. Um, our Instagram handle is at Mostyn Development, M-O-S-T-Y-N Development. Um, our Twitter handle is at MCD Impact. I'm on Facebook. We can be found at Mostyn Community Development. Um, our next big event, um, you heard it here first. This has not been released to the public. Let's go. Um, in April, April is Autism Awareness Month. Uh, we're doing a huge campaign um, for autism awareness, um, making the cause cool. Um, kids with autism are often pushed to the side in the corner at the lunch table, completely um, forgotten about. And since Autism Awareness Month is in April, uh, we're doing a huge campaign. Um, if you can see my shirt, Jesus Plus Sneakers. Uh, some of you may know um, Bree Wheeler, the owner of the brand. Uh, we're actually partnering um, and in April, you'll see Autism Plus Sneakers uh, making the calls cool. Ooh, yeah, Bree was just on the show um, last month. So um, they're familiar with Bree, if you're a please. listener of the show. Um, when that when that, um, when that that merch drops, please let me know. I'll be looking. Okay. I definitely want one. Y'all got to sell off rip. I need that um, ASAP. Um, amazing calls. Um, I love what you and Bree are doing, man. Look, I... Ralph, I just want to, you know, publicly appreciate you, man, and the work that you do. Um, again, you have been someone that I, I, I'm an observer um, just because I don't have time to necessarily follow everything. Mm -hmm. But I am always looking and admiring, um, you know, people who are um, doing the right thing in the community who love God. I just want to publicly, man, give you your flowers and say it's amazing you. the work that you're doing. Please keep it going. Um, don't hesitate to reach out to me and inspire God's people, um, you know, ever. And I, I just pray, man, much success for you, your wife, your family, um, you know, and I appreciate, you know, and inspired by people who are doing things like you're doing, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. All right, Ralph, man. It's been fun. I'll holler at you, brother. All right. Sounds good. All right. God's people, man. Like that was... Uh, that was Ralph Mostyn from Mostyn Community Development. He's the president and founder. And hopefully you found value and enjoy um, today's today's show. Um, thanks, Malloy. Um, yeah, that's a super dope, um, super dope, um, you know, initiative and campaign. Uh, it's a couple of things I want to talk to y'all about uh, that was touched on in the interview today. Y'all know I like to kind of do um, a recap and. Uh, maybe expound on some of the thoughts, but again, appreciate Ralph. Check out his organization, mcdimpact.com. Uh, love what he's doing. 
So a couple of things me and Ralph talked about. Um, a, I can I can I just can I just say what's really dope is that we just had Bree Wheeler on uh from Jesus and Sneakers. Ralph is on the show, and you see how they're collaborating. And one of the things that Ralph talked about was people who want to ask you who want a shortcut to success in business. Let's call it what it is. People want to call your phone. How do you do this? How do you do this? Well, it's like, well, A, have you tried Googling it? Because Google is one of the greatest creations in human history. Literally, you know that, right? I would say Google, YouTube, these are some of the greatest creations in the history of mankind. You can literally Google right now. I stained a door last summer. Um, I, I changed the door in my office. I wanted a glass door. I went to Menards. Bought a glass door, got it delivered, went and uninstalled the one door, put the new door up, stained the wood on the door. I never stained nothing in my life other than a white shirt. And so um, that's all Google and YouTube, bro. So you got to you gotta put in the effort. But the reason I'm pointing out Ralph and Bree is that what happens is when you are a person that's out doing work and handling business and someone else is out handling business people see that that's when you can collaborate one of the things that's really important in business is for you to be honest with yourself about where you are so at inspire guys people i am not at the level yet to reach out to tim cook at apple and ask him if he wants to do a co-branding um you know a co-branding co-branded apple watch like Tim Cook, can you do a co-branded Inspire Guys People Apple Watch because I'm a Christian and I love God and I have a good heart? No. In business, you got to be real with yourself about where you are. I am not on Apple's level. I am not ready for that type of uh, partnership. Neither do I even understand the dynamics of how to make it successful. So we rob ourselves when we try to have shortcuts in business because you're looking for someone to give you answers to a test that you aren't willing to study for. And some of the questions, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying all questions are bad, but you gotta know, am I asking this question because I'm lazy or am I asking this question because I've read three books, watched two podcasts and six YouTube videos about it and I just can't figure it out? Because if you are a hard worker and someone else is a hard worker, they see that and that's when you could collaborate because you're bringing um, additional value. Exactly, that's when you can kind of network. Um, so let's see, Sotomayor, what up? Kentucky really needs people like him here. There's none for all homeless people shelter. Yeah, man, that's that's you look, I you know, you never know. Hopefully, with someone like Ralph, I wouldn't be surprised if we look up in a couple years and he's branched out into other communities, other cities, and hopefully, um, you know, his story and, and seeing the work that he's doing will inspire someone else to start it in their city. And again, that's where we can collaborate and network when you're doing the work and I'm doing the work. But I'm going to tell y'all, man, business, it, you know, when you think about money is always a good example because I was listening to a podcast the other day where a gentleman was saying he was talking to his friend that had just made $250 million on selling on a business acquisition. So he had sold his business for $250 million. And the guy was still staying at like the, the standard Marriott hotels. And he hadn't, you know, he had had the money. I don't know how long. I don't want to lie about the, the length of time. That's not important. 
But what's important is that he had $250 million, but he was still staying in the Marriott. And part of that is because he understood the value of getting the $250 million. So the last thing he wants to do is start uselessly spending to lose it. And to us, like me, I never had $250 million. So $250 million sounds like so much money to me that I could just go waste a million and stay at the best hotels ever. And that may be true, but I haven't put in the work to earn $250 million yet. So I don't know that. And the point I'm making is this. People with money a lot of times are much more financially um, aware or frugal than people who are broke. I know broke people who will stay at the Ritz Carlton with their rent money because they think they deserve that because they don't understand the value of the hard work to earn it. And again, no disrespect to nobody, but my point is people with money don't like giving people who are broke money just to give them money. People with money, that's why they donate to charities because what they're looking to donate their money to is a cause where the money will have return on the investment. Again, the return might not be the return to their personal wallet, but it may be a return on the impact, a return on the purpose. What's my point? If you are a person out here that creates value, the money will follow you. Money follows value. Again, if you are in the workplace and you're trying to figure out how do I increase my salary, increase your skill set, increase your value. Increase your networking, increase your leadership skills, read a book. Look, for me personally, every single year I try to get better. Um, I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks from a business perspective thinking about where have I fallen short? Where have I maybe gotten a little lazy or, um, you know, maybe have some blind spots? And I'm constantly trying to read books about um, leadership uh, right now, it's like um, I'm waking up every morning and reading the Wall Street Journal. I subscribe to that because I want to become better. That's it. I want to be better. And I believe that if I create enough value, then success has no choice but to find its way to me if it's God's will. If I create value, do it with integrity and character, I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about, you know, having a nice car or something or like silly stuff or nice shoes or fat, like you won't have to worry. What's my point? Even the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, my point is the principle of seeking first, right? Seeking first the substance, seeking first the most important thing. Ralph talked about the fact that his organization is about serving and doing what you do. If you want to, if you want to tutor kids, don't, it doesn't matter if you only have one kid to tutor, you are tutoring. And we have to understand the value. The true value is our purpose. So if your purpose, for instance, let's just go with the tutoring. If your purpose in life is to tutor and help students. It didn't say your purpose in life is to tutor a million students. Uh, it's not that your purpose in life is to make $20 million tutoring students. If your purpose is to tutor students, I promise you, if you bring enough value tutoring students, consistency over time, dedication, sacrifice, service, the integrity, character, 
create enough value and things will be added. Money will come, contracts will come, partnerships, collaborations. You will get the answers to your questions. You will get the answer to your test. But life is interesting. You have to be willing to make the sacrifice first. That's why faith is such an intriguing topic and idea to me, because it requires you to give something before you get something. And it requires you to give something that you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. So you're putting faith in the fact, in the substance or the source of the fact that I know I'm going to be rewarded properly. And some of us, if we being real, we don't have the faith to walk in our purpose because we want to know that it's going to work before we do it. Guess what, y'all? You listening to this podcast right now, there has been no guarantee given to me that this is going to be successful. I have received nothing in writing. There's been no prophecy. There's been no, um, you know, no sign and wonder that, hey, if you put this effort and time into inspiring God's people, which you have publicly, um, you know, said that is your purpose is to inspire God's people, then you're going to get A, B, and C. No. So you know what I have to do? Not be worried about, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Is it going to get a hundred views or a thousand views, or is it going to get 10 comments or one comment? Those are the things that we tend to worry about when what we should worry about, in my opinion, is doing the work, do the service, live in the perfect, live in the purpose. Uh, Sean Malloy say he prophesied it. I will. Hey, and I received that prophecy, brother, because guess what? By the grace of God, that's what I've been doing. That part has been happening. That's actually a good point. I love that you worded it right there. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not. You prophesied the purpose, not the outcome. And you didn't prophesy that I was going to be a millionaire or whatever. That's what people like to do, right? People like to get you excited by promise you the things, but you've never first seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his right. Seek ye first, seek ye first, seek ye. How can I, can I make it a song? And then maybe, maybe people will rock with it. Seek ye first, A C. Hey, seek ye first. Listen, we got to do that first. Man, I'm going to be real with y'all. One of the craziest things that I realized in life is when you start getting things, you realize that they're just things. So I'm going to give an example. My dream car is a Ferrari. Now, I don't have a Ferrari. However, in my mind, it's a very realistic it's very realistic in my mind that I'm going to be able to get a Ferrari one day. So for me, when I had a 1988 Monte Carlo for $1,700 that used to, and the driver's door didn't always open and the window didn't always roll down. When I had that car in my mind, when I was in college, if I would have had a Ferrari, it would have been like the answer to all my questions. Life would have been perfect. You got a Ferrari. Everything's good. You know what you start learning? I never had a Ferrari, but I've had some luxury cars now, not on the level of Ferrari, okay? When you get stuff, the more stuff you're able to get, you just be realizing like, oh, it's just stuff. Like, it's cool to have, like, but it's literally, it doesn't change life. And I think sometimes when what the way people who are broke are manipulated, the people who, the way people are less fortunate are manipulated, is people promise you things. 
that you give your money for the promise of things. What you should be doing is investing in your purpose, focused on your purpose, because the things ain't going to change your life, but the purpose will. Inspiring God's people is going to bring more value to my life than a Ferrari ever could. Maybe more people would turn their head and look at me if I was in a Ferrari. Maybe more people would want to be there, my friend, if I was a Ferrari. But there's going to be more value and more impact for me putting in the time, effort, dedication, um, and commitment to inspiring God's people than a Ferrari could ever give for me. And I understand that now. Even if I get a Ferrari, it, I put it in its proper place. It's a nice car. It's beautiful. It's red. It has black rims, okay? But guess what? I still need to work out and eat good to be healthy. Um, I still have family and friends that I love. Uh, me and my wife still have to be able to communicate to get through any of our own issues or ups and downs. Like having things doesn't solve all the problems in your life. And people who tell you that are manipulating you because they know you've never had anything. Um, and so they know that that lie can work on you. You say <laughs> the Ferrari will inspire you. Listen, dude, if I get a Ferrari, I'm going to inspire myself. <laughs> okay. That mug going to be cold. But I ain't going to, I mean, I ain't even going to go there. Um, we're driven so much by things. That's why people post things. Uh, okay, I am going to go there. I wasn't going to go there because uh, I try not. I love social media. Let me say that. I love what social media, the connections and the opportunities it creates for us. But I also feel like social media gives us access to bring out the worst in ourselves. And what's my point? A lot of us use social media to post things like there are people that I've observed that post things and never tell you how they got it. Okay, like th there are people who post manipulative captions and say, imagine me, excuse me, posting my Ferrari. And I'm like, okay, this is, let me tell y'all how y'all do. I need, I need to take a sip first. Hold on. I got to be ready to, to say this because this might make somebody mad. Imagine I'm going to post my Ferrari, right? I post this picture. Now, here's what's truly happening. In my heart of hearts, I'm not saying it's wrong to post a Ferrari, but in my heart of hearts, this has nothing to do with God. Can I be honest with you? This has everything to do with Jay Will. <laughs> Jay Butter. Like, Jay Butter then came out. Like, listen, if I post the Rari, the caption is talking about this long story about how God has been so da-da-da. I'm just... It maybe it's me, so it might not be you. I'm just publicly telling y'all today. If you see me post the Rari, I'm kinda stunting, like I'm kinda feeling myself. So why make this manipulative caption about how God did this and it when really I just want people to see that I got a Ferrari? A Ferrari instantly increases your value to people, your credibility. Hey, I have a Ferrari. Now you want to listen to my podcast, right? So I'm going to tell you something. For me, I try to show very little things online because things are not what I want to be known for. It doesn't matter right now if I drive a Toyota or a Ferrari. 
Maybe I drive both. I don't have a Ferrari, so there's no maybe to that. But my thing is like, you know, if you saw Jay-Z today and he got out of a minivan, that would not make you view Jay-Z any less than how you view him, assuming you view him in some positive light because of his music or entrepreneurship, right? That's an assumption. Um, but specifically talking like business or success. If Jay-Z got out of a minivan, who cares? Because you view his value beyond the thing. Why, number one, because you know that he's accumulated things, so you're no longer judging him that way. But for those of us who are regular everyday people and are not famous or celebrities, we tend to judge each other off of things that don't matter simply because we don't know if the person can afford or has access to the things. So if we know that you drive a Ferrari, now you become more credible or more valuable to us. Maybe that's a stamp of validation and approval. So if I have a Ferrari and I want people to validate me, then I just start showing them my things so that they can say, oh, we should listen to Inspire Guys People podcast because he drives a Ferrari or because he lives here or he has this much money. Like, oh, I'm going to now listen to his podcast. And I do understand that that is an element of how people work and live in the world. But I made a decision for myself as it relates to social media that I'm not going to leverage social media to gain validation for areas where I'm insecure. So, like, I'm not going to post stuff. I remember I took this picture, man. Um, this was, I don't, we don't even have this car no more, but my wife always have the better car. Like I buy her, you know, whatever. She always have a better car than me. And, um, my wife car, this was like, I bought this car in 2016. So whatever. Um, I took this picture though, man, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna just keep it all the way a hundred with y'all. This picture is so cold to me. Like I'm just like leaning on the car and it was like a field behind me and the picture is like black and white. And I was like, Ooh, if I post this, like. But I'm telling y'all, it was no way for me to flip it because I would be lying to myself. It was no way for me to post that picture and try to make it about God. And a lot of times that's what we do. You can't lie to God by masking your purpose behind something else, like doing something else and calling it purpose, trying to stun on people or trying to show off in calling it purpose, you ain't tricking God, which means you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, which means the godly things won't be added. And a lot of times we want things, but we don't really want godly things because we just want things to validate ourselves to other people. I'm challenging you out there today. We all have insecurities. Look, I just shared a story about how I wanted to post a picture, but I knew in my heart of hearts, it's just you, Jay. It's just Jay Will. You just trying to show people like, yeah, see, I am a businessman. See, like, you should listen to what I'm saying because people react to things. But if you focus on the value, if you focus on bringing so much, I want to bring so much value through this podcast and talking through faith in business and being a resource for Christian entrepreneurs, business professionals, and individuals who are trying to find a way uh, to, to find their purpose and navigate through the world of business as a believer. I want to provide so much value 
through this platform that over time, it doesn't matter if you run into me in public and I'm driving in a minivan, it doesn't even cause you to view the information or the resources or the substance of what I've created as any less. What I don't want to do is be validated by the things because the things are just the result of me doing the work. I want you to take, if you don't take nothing else from this today, understand that the things are just the result of you doing the work. Stop seeking the things unless they motivate you. Don't get me wrong. Let me, let me, let me say this the right way and be real. Ain't nothing wrong if I'm motivated by the rear Ferrari. If, if something motivates you, that's fine. But don't let it validate you. There's a difference between motivation and validation. You might be motivated to get a new house, to save and do something for your family. That's fine. But understand when you get the house, you're still human. Guess what? Me and my wife, we built our first house. We don't live there no more. I only tell people stuff. It, this didn't happen. This is gone. And we sold that house. We built our first house. And guess what? We still had arguments in that house. It was, it's like we had the same arguments in that house we had in the apartment. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, and, may, and maybe even more because it was more bathrooms to me, for me to mess up. And now, now I got to, you know, get this bathroom together and, 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 and make sure this toilet seat look right. Um, you know what I'm saying? Read between the lines. My point is, at the end of the day, I started understanding when I got things that think a house don't make a great marriage. Like, it's a house. It doesn't mean that things don't have value. So what I don't want you to do is misunderstand the point I'm making about having things. Because people will say, yes, it, it was it better for me when I got to my house versus the one bedroom apartment we were living in? 100%. Was it more comfortable? 100%. It was more responsibility, though, at the same time. Um, more sacrifice, more money, taxes, all those things. But it was more comfortable. It was better. But it did not validate us. It did not change the fabric of who we are. Christ can do that. So one thing that I try to, you know, want to really kind of drive home with you as a person that is a believer in business. As a Christian, we got to critically think through these things. These are the kind of things we can't think the same way as the world. So you might listen to a worldly podcast, a secular podcast, and they may say something totally different. And it may feel good and sound good and everything like that. But I truly believe as a believer, we should not allow ourselves to be validated by things. They are useless. Your purpose is more valuable than the thing that your purpose will allow you to get. All right, let's see. My first ride, I was so happy and excited. I got myself a 94 new Mazda truck, B2300. Never heard of that. Black and nice rims already on it, but had to give it up because I had kids always said I was getting... Me and another still haven't plus stick shift. Okay. But look, so that ain't nothing wrong with that. Like, like you said, like, hey, you always said you would get another. I, I think I think things could be very motivating. They can drive you. Um, they can be goals and they should be really. You should be striving, but they can't be the focus. And that's really the point I'm making. There's nothing wrong with getting things. If you don't live in a nice house and you want to live in a nice house, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't. I'm talking more so about prioritizing, too, um, because, look, when I was in college, I wanted a, a new Monte Carlo. And I remember uh, they were just changed the body. And uh, this was like 05, 06. And I wanted that car. And I remember printing that out and putting it on my desk and 
Man, when I tell you I woke up every day, the one the one on the picture was red. The one I got was white. But it was just as, ooh, it was butter. I love that car. But And so the point is that motivated me. I got up every day and I went to class and I went to work because I was going to work knowing that I was motivated to get something. So there's nothing wrong, I don't believe, with being motivated. But you can't let things define and validate you. Look, this has been a um, a great time, man. I've enjoyed y'all. Um, and I hope y'all have enjoyed the show as much as I have. And look, man, Inspire Guys People, the podcast, uh, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. Please like this, share it. Um, we're on YouTube and uh, at Inspire Guys People, Facebook, if you're watching on Facebook. But look, on YouTube, I drop short clips just about every single day uh, to inspire you and um, hopefully guide you daily and remind you of the things that we talk about on the show. And I'm looking forward to continuing to grow this platform. So please share it with people and uh, hit me up, JermaineWilsonMusic at gmail.com. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, any of that stuff. Matter of fact, let me throw the email on the screen for the people that's watching it, JermaineWilsonMusic at gmail.com. If there's topics or guests that you would love to see on the show, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. I appreciate you, man. This has been um, an amazing journey so far, and I'm just really looking forward to what this year will uh, continue to build out. Look, we got episode 189 coming on Wednesday. Um, episode 189, I'm going to be interviewing Elliot Shaw, who is a licensed financial advisor, a martial artist, um, and a musician who loves God. So we're going to talk to him again. I, I love reaching out to people who are licensed and who have done the work, who are educated. Uh, not that degrees or things matter, but credibility matters as it relates to knowing that you have put in the work and that you know what you're talking about through experience. Um, Sotomayor only shared it because I did it on my own. Oh, yeah, I ain't had no problem with you sharing that either. Like, that was dope. I wasn't, nothing, I, I was thinking this as I was talking. My next statements about the stuff, it wasn't a response to your uh, to your comment. I had just read your comment and then kind of continued. Yeah, I didn't have no problem with your story. So uh, much love. God bless you. All those great things. Listen, um, Inspire Guys people, man, y'all keep rocking with us. And uh, do what you do. Follow me. I follow you. All that. Why am I making up a song? I don't know. It's time to get out of here. Love y'all. God bless, man.